Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views, the place for pets. And their people who love them. Here's your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, practicing veterinarian, coming to you live from the Florida Space Coast. Happy spring, everybody. Today is the first day of spring, although in Florida really doesn't matter all that much to us. <laughs> In fact, we love winter here. Now we know we have uh, some, some abominably hot weather to look forward to. In the next, uh, we probably still have a few good months of the, uh, of the bragging weather, but uh, spring signals the return to hot and balmy weather, which in and of itself isn't terrible. Certainly better than all of the blizzard conditions the rest of nine-tenths of the country has been experiencing this winter. Not to rub it in, folks. I know I have a lot of Listeners from all over the country, including Canada. In fact, my first email comment is from Canada. I'll be addressing that in just a moment. With spring, ladies and gentlemen, comes a higher incidence of allergies across most of the United States and even in Canada. Uh, Pollens start to percolate in the environment because of all of the blooming new life. We love the blooming new life, but hey, nothing's without its paybacks, is it? When it comes to our dogs and cats... Those paybacks come in a with a vengeance uh, in the form of skin allergies, and that very much affects the topic that I'm talking about tonight. Tonight I'm talking about maintaining healthy ears in dogs and cats. I'm going to discuss what it is about them that makes them a little bit different in terms of their anatomical considerations, physiological considerations that make them so much more prone to ear infections than people. Of course, we know people do get ear infections, but not nearly with, to the degree and uh, commonness of ear infections in dogs and cats. I'll tell you, a rare day goes by that I don't see at least one check ears case. So we're going to talk about that today, and we're also going to talk about measures that you can take to utilize the knowledge of their physiology and anatomical considerations to prevent infections. So we're going to get into that topic in just a moment. As you know, we had talked about a raw diet uh, the last time that I broadcasted to you, and I was trying to present it in a, an objective way, and, I, and I'm not going to rehash the whole episode, but the bottom line is we have extreme positions on both sides. Is really the biggest problem. Veterinarians that overblow the risk, that fail to recognize the health benefits in, in many pets when fed raw, and then we've got the extremists on the other side that think raw, every disease known to dogs and cats is caused by the fact that we don't feed every dog and cat raw, and that feeding them raw will cure everything and your pet will live forever. Um, and, and you know, the, the, the truth really, like, is, as in most things, you know, lies somewhere in the middle. Sometimes you have these discussions and it can get frustrating because it reminds me of, like, like in politics, you've got your hardcore right-wingers and you've got your hardcore left-wingers, and when they discuss, they're just, they're just insulting each other. They're not listening to one another. They don't concede points. They just try to one-up the other one and out-insult the other, and it's just the worst thing you can listen to. It's even worse when you see it on Facebook. Well, same thing with this situation where, you know, sound minds often don't 
prevail in the case of polarizing topics. Um, and I would I would encourage you to watch or I'm sorry listen to that episode because because in it you know I I gave a very objective presentation of you know what what are what's our state of raw feeding at this point what do we really know so much time has elapsed now uh, probably more people are doing it than they were ten years ago I've had twelve years of practice where I've I've been able to experience a lot of patients that aren't raw fed and you know maybe fifty to hundred that are raw fed I've seen cases where they've done really well. I've seen situations where there's really been no appreciable difference. I very rarely have seen problems with it, you know, the, the raw food toxicity, uh, food poisoning. So, uh, you know, in that regard, I, I, I don't reject the notion. Um, I'm a veterinarian, actually, that if, you, if you're going to be committed to that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help you with it. I want to try to get you to do it the right way. Well, anyway, Long story short, this is what Miriam had to write because, you know, Miriam from Toronto, Canada, uh, she is on the, on, the, on the fringes of this topic. Let me just read you what she wrote. I must say it was refreshing to hear a veterinarian acknowledge the health benefits of feeding raw meat, feeding dogs raw meat. I talked about pets last week, but she was, she's talking about dogs specifically. When I first saw the title of the podcast, I was certain I was going to hear another veterinarian dead set against something I've seen my dogs thrive from and have not seen one single problem in 15 years of feeding raw. On the other hand, I was still left disappointed with the fact that this podcast had a biased and sensational outlook on raw feeding. Implying that there is an increased risk in feeding raw meat is just wrong. There is no risk. A dog's gastric pH is not like that of a person and can handle any manner of parasites and bacteria just as it can in the wolf. A dog's flora is markedly different from that that of people, which makes... The way they absorb nutrients is completely different. They cannot break down the cellulose wall of vegetables to get any benefit from vegetable nutrients. They also do, need, do not need fiber as we do for normal digestion. So this whole notion that we should be feeding vegetables to supplement raw meat is ridiculous. Even more ridiculous is the fact that you state that there are health conditions where raw feeding is not appropriate. Immune-suppressed animals are simply not at, at increased risk from raw feeding because for there to be risk, it would mean that somehow a raw food bacteria or parasite would have to somehow get past the GI system. There cannot be a risk if there is no challenge to the immune system. I give, it, I give you credit, Doc, to opening your eyes beyond your pet food industry-funded veterinarian curriculum, but you still have much to understand about the right way to feed dogs. Okay, so, God, there's so many things in here that are so, so broken record about, you know, this, this ilk of people. Um, so, and Miriam, I hope you're listening tonight. <laughs> The the if you if you listen to my podcast last week I I actually talked about the the pH of, the gastric pH of the wolf is about one very 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 hyperacidic and that of people is about three still very hyperacidic and kill a lot of things but not quite as acidic and dogs somewhere you know fall somewhere in between at two two and a half they're a little bit closer to people not quite people but you know a little bit more acidic so a little bit more resistant but you know certainly not like a wolf. Dogs are not wolves. They're, they're different than wolves. They're a different species. Now, this person is telling me this, and when I said last week, I actually measured gastric pH in a live specimen, a dog that was under anesthesia. We actually put a pH strip in the stomach. Imagine that. Uh, you know, I did this. I, I will venture to say, Miriam, I bet you never actually physically measured gastric pH in the canine. You read about it from somebody who probably read about it from somebody who at some point made it up because it's just not true. All right, that's number one. Number two, the other thing I talked about last week is a dog's floor is not markedly different from that of people. In fact, it's quite similar. And I went through all of the different bacterial flora, that is, bacteria that aid in digestion, 
that we see in the canine stomach. And guess what? I cultured, I actually cultured the intestinal flora. I did a culture, a swab and a Petri dish and cultured it. Um, again, Miriam, I will venture to say you probably have never done that, but you probably read about it somewhere, you know, that, that it's different from people and that person who you read it from probably read it from somebody else, so on and so forth, but it was made up because it's just not true. This is from people that aren't actively scientists. This is all hearsay. I was not being sensational in the risk of raw feeding. I, I actually said repeatedly, as I said tonight, the risk is quite low. <laughs> the, case, the few cases I've seen, which is less than five, I know two of them had mitigating circumstances. They had diseases that made them immune suppressed, that made them very sick from directly from raw feeding, one with salmonella, one with E. coli. The salmonella case nearly died from hemorrhagic diarrhea, had to give it a blood transfusion. The E. coli case nearly died because it went into liver failure. Okay, so I didn't make this up. This is, this, this is an actual, these are actual clinical cases that I've seen. So I'm not saying not to feed raw. I'm saying do it right. Dogs do need vegetables. Let's talk about that point real quick. You're telling me that <clears throat> dogs have a gastric pH like wolves, a pH of one, that can melt chrome off a bumper, okay, but it can't break down cellulose? Really? You can't have it both ways. You can't have this hyperacidic pH that can, like, melt anything that will kill anything, but at the same time have a gastric pH that can't break down a cellulose wall so the nutrients can be absorbed. Very, very wrong. And by the way, wolves can absorb nutrients from vegetables. They eat grass. They eat the herbal contents out of their herbivorous prey. They eat it out of their stomachs. They, they are omnivorous, not quite to the extent that dogs are, but they are omnivorous. So that's just wrong, too. It's wrong for wolves, even. It's wrong for dogs. Um, and, and then lastly, if a patient is immune suppressed, you're darn right they're more susceptible to infection. That just makes sense. There's immunity. We have immune tissue, lymphoid tissue, which is immune tissue, in our gut to help fight infect, to help fight pathogens that are trying to invade from the food that we eat. That applies to dogs and cats as well. And if, if there was no risk for them to get parasites or infections, well, I'd be out of business. There'd be nothing for me to treat. And, and the coccidia, hookworm, roundworm, tapeworm that I diagnosed every day of my existence as a veterinarian is all a figment of my imagination. Where do you think they get these infections from? They get them from the things that they eat, either food or feces or the soil. They're getting parasites from somewhere. When I treat infections, gut infections, day in and day out, they get these infections from somewhere. There is enteric infections, viral ones that are deadly, panleukopenia for cats, parvo for dogs. Where are they getting these from? Are they immune to those as well? It's just ridiculous telling me that things that they eat cannot possibly infect them. It's crazy. Realistically, though, if you're careful about where you get them, like I'm careful about the sushi restaurants I go to. I'm not going to go to any two-bit place. I'm going to go to a clean establishment. I understand my risk of raw food, t uh, food poisoning is a little bit higher, but I'm okay with that risk because it's going to be comparatively low, um, and I enjoy sushi, and I, do it I eat it twice a week. Uh, I accept the risk, just like raw feeding people can accept the risk, and I'm okay with that too, but it is a little bit more risk, and I've treated a few cases, and I say a few. There are caveats to raw feeding that you shouldn't do it. 
listen to me, don't listen to people like Miriam, folks. That's all I want to say. And that I'm so glad she emailed because <clears throat> that's just a case in point. That you know the whole the whole conspiracy of the the pet food industry funded veterinary curriculum. Oh my God, that's my favorite conspiracy in the world. I just it, it's the same broken record of you know just that that same the same ideas from different people, but the same ideas percolating. It's like they all just record one another. It's just incredible. Um, so then uh, let, we'll do my second email question real quick, get it out of the way, uh, because this is, a, this is a much more reasonable take uh, that this person, Tammy from Sparta, New Jersey, took from uh, my talk last week. Thank you for the objective talk on raw feeding. You are so correct that there are extreme positions on each, each side. On one hand, there are dog owners on the dog forum I belong to that for the most part I love, but no matter what I may ask or discuss about my dog's health, the solution is always to feed raw. Like that is the only thing in life that will cure all of what could, could possibly ail my dog. On the other side, there's my vet, who I love also, but every time I even approach the subject of feeding raw, rather than have a serious discussion about it, I palpably feel the cynicism in his curt, borderline rude responses. I have not yet made up my mind whether or not I plan to feed my dog raw, but if when I do, I'll follow your suggestions and not hesitate to ask you questions as I find your views balanced and reasonable, clearly based on fact and experience, not emotion. Thanks again. Thank you, Tammy, that you took away the right message. Um, your vet is wrong, just as you know the people on your dog forum are wrong. Uh, it does have its place, and there are there are many dogs who do better on it. So something to think about, and you have any questions about it along the way, you call into this show or, or shoot me another email, and thank you for the response. So let's talk about ears, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> ears are a big problem in veterinary medicine, and of course we're talking mostly canine and feline because that's the big, you know, my main body of experience. I do treat rabbits as well, but their ear problems are different. They're usually parasitic in nature. They're usually from mites, but we do see mites in dogs and cats, but Usually it's from when they're in very unhygienic environments, mites, uh, sometimes puppies and kittens come with mites, but uh, most commonly we're seeing yeast and bacterial infections of the ears when there are active infections. So anatomically, here's what you have with dogs and cats, and, and depending on the breed and the shape of the individual animal, you're going to see variations of this, but by and large, their ears are kind of shaped like a trumpet. You've got this really wide external ear canal, and we call that the vertical canal. And that's the part that you can actually see for yourselves. When you flap the ears back, you can see that big old canal. So big that even with a cat, you could shove your pinky down there. The diameter is that wide. And what happens is it courses down towards the skull, and then it turns horizontally, like almost like, a, like an elbow, 90-degree turn. Okay, And then it courses towards the eardrum. And we call that the horizontal canal. So there's two different canals. Of course, it's all one trajectory, sorry about that, but, but it, it, there's a big turn there. So, and, and also the, the canal narrows significantly as it courses towards the eardrum. So what you have is this great big uh, opening that then leads to an acute turn and gets narrower as it courses proximally. So what you're really left with is a, you have uh, – an easy mode of junk to get in there. When I say junk, I say uh, dirt, uh, microorganisms, microbes, you know, yeast bacteria, pollutants, allergens, all kinds of things that will irritate the ear and potentially cause infection. They have a tough way to get out, though. 
be, because there's, you know, as you get further in that ear canal, it's less exposed to air. There's not as wide a diameter, so it's harder to clean down there. Uh, even if you're an experienced veterinarian or vet tech, it still can be challenging to get that far down because there's only f- so far you can go. Uh, you have to, you have to really be experienced in flushing and use the right kind of flushes to get to ke- keep a lot of these ears fresh and clean. So that's our that's our number one challenge is anatomical, um, and, and <clears throat> the the anatomy is just kind of a train wreck, really. Uh, and then when you throw in breeds of dog. And, and a couple of cats like the Scottish Fold, but, but mostly dogs like Basset Hounds, Beagles, Cocker Spaniels, Cavaliers with the fo- floppy pendulous ears. Well, now you have a big old ear canal that does all the things I talked about, only it's covered as well, <laughs> so it doesn't breathe. Perfect environment for the overproliferation of yeast and or bacteria. So <clears throat> let's throw in on top of all that the fact that Dogs, many dog breeds, and, and a lot of cats, you know, let's face it, and, and I'm not just saying cat breeds, but cats come from inbo- inbred populations. I mean, where, where do most people go for a cat, for instance? Most people go to the local shelter and pick out a kitten or a young adult cat, but by and large, these are, these are homeless cats. These are cats that have been collected from the area. They may have come from feral cat colonies. We have a lot of those here in Florida. And you're, you're talking about very inbred populations. So as a result, and of course, when you, when you go for like the Persian or the Himalayan purebred kitty, you're often uh, getting also a very uh, selectively bred population, not a lot of genetic variety. And all that inbreeding carries with it recessive genetic inherited problems, one of which is a predisposition to allergies. Now, on the dog side, we have a lot of people prefer breeds. I mean, I see specific breeds all the time. In fact, I think I see specific breeds more often than I see mutts. Uh, but even some mutts present with allergies. So, so you know, it's uh, it's just a common thing out there. But especially in our purebred dogs, you know, and and then you got your your like English bulldogs, cocker spaniels, your poster dogs for allergies, so to speak, sharpays. Um, that predisposition to all of these animals, pets that come from inbred populations, or are very selectively bred, that is just sort of a, a powder keg when it when it's when you combine it with the anatomical issues of the ear. So what happens when an alert when, when when a pet is experiencing allerg- allergic sensitivities? Well the first thing they're gonna feel some itchiness in their ears, just like a lot of people do. But it's gonna go a step further than it does in a lot of people, which is it's going they're gonna start hyper secreting wax. So they're gonna hyper secrete wax, the the moisture is gonna and wax are gonna build up in that ear. Uh, the, the tissue becomes increasingly compromised, and of course, what happens next is microbes, whether they're bacteria or yeast, will opportunistically start over-proliferating, and then the owner notices the dog or cat is in pain, there is discomfort, they notice the foul smell from the ears, the discomfort, itchiness, pain, or both, they call us up for an appointment. And uh, ultimately, you know, I see a lot of yeast or bacteria or sometimes mixed ear infections. So we're always going to do a swab of those ears. We do is put it on a slide. We figure out what's most prevalently growing in there, and then we treat appropriately. Sometimes we have to culture the ears if they're coming back time and again for ear infections uh, to make sure that we don't have a resistant bug, you know, a bug that has become resistant to our best antimicrobials. 
we will sometimes culture these to get an exact identity of the bacteria that's growing and what is going to most effectively kill it. And that could become a challenge over time. So what we have to do is, of course, we can't change the anatomy. That is what it is. They inherit that. But what we can do is, is, is proactively manage the environment of that ear so that we can prevent these infections. So one of the things is we have to f- first cut down that wax environment. We have to use a cleanser that's going to cut through wax effectively, break it up, and freshen that ear. That's number one. Number two, we need a cleanser that is going to dehydrate that ear. Microbes love moisture, so we want a net drying effect. And I'm not saying put a hair dryer down there. There's certain cleansers that have certain formulas that can achieve the drying activity. And I'll get to that in a moment. And then thirdly, we want to acidify that ear because acidification of the ear makes it more difficult for microbes to proliferate. Bacteria and yeast don't like acidic environments. So if you can acidify that ear, then you can also help to prevent infections. And one of the notions that everybody's got to understand is that the the predisposition to ear infections is rarely cured. It's an ongoing management process. So don't think you're going to cleanse once and everything's wonderful and life is good. No, I mean, I look at my own Labrador. I got to cleanse him three times a week, more often in the summer, because if I don't cleanse him in the summer after he swims, he gets nasty, nasty otitis. Uh, Otitis is uh, inflammation of the ear, infection of the ear. So it's an ongoing process. So let go of the notion that you may, you know, I, I would love to say that, you know, we can cure it sometimes. Uh, you know, if we can do good allergy management, and that's a whole other episode, we can significantly reduce the frequency and maybe reduce the burden by which you have to maintain the ears, but it never goes away. So, so just be signed on to the fact that if your dog or cat has ear problems, you really need to be proactive and you need to have an ongoing maintenance regimen. So one of the things you don't want to do is <clears throat> there's a lot of cleansers out there that will have a net drying effect by greasing up the ear. So they like Odie Cleanse is one of them. Odie Cleanse is really oily cleanser. And yes, oil and water don't mix. And when you, you know, slop that ear up with oil, yeah, it's going to get the, it's going to, it's going to definitely chase the water out of there, but then you still have a greasy ear. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that to me is not an effective way to go. So I never really liked Odie Cleanse. I don't even know if it's on the market anymore, but here's what you want. Um, and, and let go of don't, you know, if somebody's advising you to, to flush with, you know, rubbing alcohol or vinegar, too harsh on the tissues, folks. Yeah, it may acidify and dry both of them, but um, you're, you're going to have a net inflammatory effect that's actually going to make those infections worse. So don't do something that harsh. Do not use hydrogen peroxide. You have to use a proper cleanser. And um, the acetic acid is really, in a sense, vinegar. If you're looking at like distilled white vinegar, it's acetic acid. It does have its place. Rubbing alcohol, isopropyl alcohol, does have its place, albeit in a very, very small concentration. So don't try to make it yourself. It's very hard to figure that out. It's also very hard to get it to work properly in an aqueous, meaning water environment, a liquid environment. So what you want is a cleanser that is going to have a very small amount of acetic acid, a very small amount of uh, isopropyl alcohol as part of its overall 
um, formulation, but you also want things like salicyclic acid, which is very gentle and, very, and anti-inflammatory, aloe vera, essential fatty acids that are very good for naturally de-inflammatizing, and things that are going to condition and nourish the ear. Okay, so um, talk to your vet about you know these various criteria, and also if you're going to do some research and look for good cleansers online, certainly look for these criteria. Because, you know, that's what you want to accomplish. You want to dehydrate, acidify, cut the wax. Um, and, and, you know, at the same time, you don't want to just accomplish those things but not condition and nourish ear, the ear at the same time. Now, since, um, <laughs> not to do a shameless plug here, but, but since, since um, you know, I am in a, uh, uh, I do have a holistic uh, company, the um, I, I can suggest a very good cleanser, Dr. Rogers Holistic Veterinary Care, uh, Care Cleanser, uh, that uh, is, is pretty much accomplishes all that stuff. I'm not saying to get my cleanser necessarily; it's not the only one out there that does it, but pretty much everything that is in there, I chose it, and um, it, it wasn't some pharmaceutical company telling me, "Hey, this is what's great, and this is why it works." I came up with it. So we do have a caller on the line. I'm going to just take that real quick. We got about. Four minutes to go, so we've, they've been holding for a little while. Thank you for your patience. You are live on the air. Hello? Hello, hello? Okay, well, we lost that person. <laughs> I wonder if somebody maybe called in. Sometimes people call in on smartphones to listen to the episode, not realizing that they could actually just download it as a podcast. And then when I go to click them on the air, they don't realize they're on my call queue. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, just so you know, folks, you can actually just download uh, the episode right from your podcast, and you could you could patch it. You don't necessarily have to call in. But, uh, yeah, as soon as I went, that person was holding for close to a minute. And as soon as I went to engage them in the call, he <laughs> disappeared on me. Uh, at any rate, I hope you're still listening. Um, no, 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 no worries about being shy to come on the air. That's why we take email comments as well. So if you f- feel free to email me if you did indeed have a question or concern. So at any rate, um, back to what I was saying, you know, there are commercial cleansers out there, and there's a lot of good ones, and I'm not saying the Dr. Roger Veterinary, uh, Holistic Veterinary Care product is the only uh, product in town, but I will tell you it's excellent quality, pharmaceutical grade, and I was a biochemistry major before I was a veterinarian, so I know how this stuff works from a pharmacological standpoint, how the chemistry comes together. Uh, so I would advise, you know, taking a look at that. Generally, what I'll recommend is, uh, whether you're using my cleanser or another that fits the criteria of, again, I'm just going to repeat one more time, a s- small percentage isopropyl alcohol, s- small percentage of acetic acid, uh, salicyclic acid, and aloe vera, essential fatty acids, and, uh, you know, other things that may condition and nourish the ear. Uh, I, I typically would recommend a regimen of daily flushes for seven consecutive days because the right kind of cleanser is gentle enough to be used every day. Um, what you want to do is you don't want to, once you flush, you don't want to wipe out with cotton balls. You just want to blot. Uh, wiping is going to create more inflammation. It could have a net effect of making the ear more irritated. So you really just want to pour the this, this stuff in there, like three squirts of it, massage that ear canal, massage it very gently, 
let the let the dog or cat have a good shake. Lots of times I want to shake. Let them shake because a lot of that stuff will just come flying out. And whatever doesn't come out, don't worry. It's not going to give them swimmers here because it's going to dehydrate. It's going to evaporate because of its chemical constituents. So you just want to just blot and just very gently remove any debris that may remain. If they're still kind of filthy after that first flush, repeat the same thing. Just kind of you know flush them in there, massage very gently, and then gently blot again until they're fairly clear. Do that once a day for seven consecutive days. And then in most cases, you can just maintain them one to three times a week after that. And if you're proactive like this, you will save yourself a lot of money on veterinary visits. We do have another call here, and uh, we have only a minute and a half left. left. You're on the air. Hello? 701 area code, can you hear me? Hello, hello? Looks like we lost this person, too. Interesting. <laughs> I wonder if there's something wrong with my switchboard tonight. Um, according to my switchboard, you are live on the air. Going once, going twice? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Shoot me an email if um, you're experiencing technical difficulties. My first caller and this one as well. Um, the email is comments at web-dvm.net. Also, uh, let me know if you had technical difficulties, but also, you know, you can submit any comments, uh, contributions to the show, questions, concerns, anything like that, that I can address in the next episode. I will be coming to you folks uh, two weeks from today. Uh, it is spring break for my kids. It begins Friday as their last day of school. And as a family, we're taking a really nice sailboat trip south. And uh, we're just going to see where the intercoastal waterway takes us. We are a seafaring family. I bid everyone happy spring. Thank you for joining me today or this evening. Uh, thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen to me. Callers, I hope we can link up next time or by email. And I look forward to talking to everybody in two weeks. Have a great night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.